Welcome to the Food and Beverage Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Today we're joined by Nidal Barake, founder and director of Glitonomy, to talk about the social responsibilities that come with being a chef, a restaurant, or a brand in the food industry. How you doing, Nidal? Hi, how are you? Good, good. Thank you for joining us today. No, thanks for the invitation. Of course, of course. Our pleasure. So, Nidal, I wanted to start at the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about Glutonomy and what it is you do there? Yeah, um, we at Glutonomy, we are, we are basically an agency and consulting firm for the food industry. So, basically, we work hand-in-hand with uh, restaurants, uh, chefs, and food and beverage brands. And we work with them in uh, different projects in areas such as marketing, um, digital marketing, branding, and and business consulting for like uh, business development or strategy projects. So, what what's your experience with the within the food industry? How did you come across Glutonomy? Well, um, I come from the technical, like tech and mobile industries, and on one of my previous companies, we had a mobile marketing and digital agency. And because of my network, I, I used to write uh, about food and, uh, yeah, food writer or critic. Um, most of my clients came from the food industry, and I realized that like traditional agencies, um, consulting firms do not understand the food industry as deep as it needs to, to be uh, understood. So basically, we create... We created glutonomy, um, uh, thinking or or having like a deep understanding of the food industry and the consumers, uh, so we can work on projects with a again with a better uh, feeling and understanding of the philosophy of working uh, with food brands. So then, what do you think at your previous ventures helped you prepare and feel confident in what you're doing now? Well, uh, the, definitely the tech uh, part and mobile helped me understand the importance of um, digital marketing and consumer um, preferences when accessing data or how to manage um, digital channels, how to manage data and the importance of it. Uh, that on one hand from the technical point of view. And as a food writer and a food critic, I get got to know the industry uh, deeply in terms of what drives a chef or a restaurant or what are the drivers of a consumer when choosing one brand uh, versus the other or or a restaurant when putting together a food concept. So altogether, the food experience plus the technical experience uh, is a little probably the, the mix of how Glutonomy uh, came up as a company. Right. It seems like it's a, it's a combination of, of both sides of your interests, right? That's right. That's right. So I'm curious, with all your new experience in advising and consulting these kind of uh, people in the food and beverage industry, what have you learned? Are there any outstanding trends? You know, I think one of the big ones we always hear about, right, is everyone becoming a little bit more aware of where the food's coming from and being more health conscious. Yeah, uh, definitely. Since uh, food has become part of our uh, pop culture, um, now going to a restaurant or traveling, uh, doing a food trip is a part of uh, what we do every day, most people. So the importance or the relevance of what chefs, restaurants, and food and beverage brands do is more uh, is more important. Like they have a bigger responsibility in society. So 
by having a population that's growing uh, more conscious of what they're eating, where their food comes from, uh, the trustability of the food, uh, that has pushed, uh, again, restaurants, chefs, and food and beverage brands to take that into consideration uh, as a key component to their to their offer. So people want to not only good um, eat good food, but they want to know where the food comes from, if it's being grown uh, responsibly, and and everything around it. So, so you're mentioning, you know, the responsibility that comes with being, you know, in the food industry, which I think might have not had as much of an emphasis, you know, before this this new trend. So, do you think this is more than a, just a trend? Then, do you think this this healthy eating and and being just generally more more health conscious? Do you think that's here to stay? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I mentioned before, and now uh, food is a part of our culture, like it's sports and music and fashion and culture and art. So food for everybody is more important, more relevant than it was maybe 30 years ago. So that's part of our society right now. And it's part of our culture. And as part of our culture, we are more conscious of what we're doing around it, both uh, growing it or, uh, or consuming it. So to add on that, Nidal, I'm curious. We're seeing everyone around us embrace the digital age and, and, and get more connected. And we're also seeing this shift in, in being more health conscious. How has this played out in the industry? Do you see more people embracing foreign or, or niche foods? And does this food ever change considering our new standards? No, I think it's uh, everything is um, connected. Um, the access of data that we have uh, right now uh, and what we do with that data is helping us uh, grow better food uh, in terms of uh, where it comes from or exchanging uh, information and knowledge among, let's say, farmers from different parts of the world so on what works and what, what doesn't work. So being more connected and having more access to data um, has provided us more information to make probably better decisions. So then can you tell us a little bit about how Glutonomy operates and, and what you do to react to these new trends or, or movements within the industry? Yeah, uh, on one hand, like let's say, for example, in, in terms of projects that we're working on, let's say we are curating a, a food hall uh, now in downtown Miami. Uh, so we're putting together a mix of more than 30 concepts. So in deciding which type of concepts we need to have uh, in place, we need to understand the drivers of the population, how conscious they are about uh, health and eating well. So it's not just a matter of bringing like uh, popular brands or popular foods like burgers and pizza, but we know through data also, this is not just a guess, it's also supported by data. We know as a matter of fact that more people are looking for more healthy options, especially during, for example, like lunch uh, hours for uh, office workers. So all that knowledge uh, it's brought into the conceptualization of the full hall and deciding which type of concepts we, we want to bring in. And actually, we are working hand in hand with uh, some restaurant groups to develop concepts that are tailored to what we understand uh, the demand will be. So Nidal, from the research and data collecting side, what's been one of the most interesting things you've learned that you weren't expecting? 
Yeah, from the again from the health point of view, uh, our um, food as medicine, uh, which I thought was gonna be like a very small niche or like specialized, uh, maybe like medical treatments and everything, it's becoming more and more popular. So people are seeing or watching what they eat, not only in terms of health uh, or like eating healthy, but also. Uh, as a way to prevent uh, some diseases. So food as medicine, as preventive medicine, it's gaining uh, a lot of relevance in our diets. Right. I think you're right in that that's interesting because it is something that I think we all expected it to come and go as most fads do. No, it's it's becoming part of our uh, day-to-day life. Like uh, people understood that eating healthier uh, will not only... Uh, make us feel better, but it will also help us prevent a number of diseases. Right, right. And I'm curious, with your experience in the in this industry, what are some common mistakes you see chefs, brands, and restaurants committing over and over again? What are some easy, fixable things they could be doing that they're not? Well, uh, it's very easy to fall into uh, fads or fashionable uh, food items. So uh, any point you see most restaurants doing all the same things like okay poke is popular now so everybody will make their own version of poke or then fried chicken so everybody's doing fried chicken and so instead of leading with their own philosophy of what they believe is uh, they're strong or good at their most restaurants just follow uh trends as a means to sell more uh and that's probably like a in the short term is is good because they will bring more customers but and more instagram likes but in the long term and they won't be working on a, on their own philosophy or their own uh personality interesting interesting so nidad before we let you go here we want to play a little game we want to i'm going to present a sentence and i want you to finish that sentence for me and some of these questions are based off of the fact that you have some experience as a food critic Sound good? Perfect. So let's start with the most underrated type of cuisine is? Lebanese. Lebanese. Why, why do you say that? I have my Lebanese heritage and the food is just great. It's healthy. And we're starting to see like the incorporation of some Lebanese ingredients in in some like Western restaurants like Zatar or Labne or Sumac. Uh, so the, it's a cuisine that's very rich. Uh, but since it comes from a, such a small country with a small population, hasn't spread as attitude. But I mean, it's not as popular as Spanish or Italian or right. Asian. But uh, it's great in terms of value, uh, nutritional value and flavor. Interesting. Let, let's see. Can you? Uh, what do you think is the best compliment you've ever given a dish? I think it's more about the emotions. Like it, it, it takes me places or takes takes me to memories. Um, in my work, you eat a lot of good food and technically speaking and from flavor perspective, I mean, you, I eat a lot of good food, but the one that really stays with me is that food that has a, a meaning, that has a story or that takes me to a specific mood or, or place. So let's add, let's add to that then. What's the best dish you've cooked? Uh, I'm more into like the hearty, like um, warm, uh, warm meal. So I love, I like, I love to do risottos because they're very um, 
uh, once you master the base, you can do anything you want with it. So work with seasonal vegetables or do it like very light or very strong. So I like uh, risotto as a as a homemade uh, meal. Um, and in terms of restaurants, um, maybe like yeah, of course I've had some like unforgettable meals as well but uh, the one i remember the most is a uh, eel uh, dish in in italy in osteria francescana mm. well how was the eel prepared well it, it was a uh, interpretation of a uh, asian uh, like a japanese uh, uh, eel plate that we eat every uh, like usually we eat with sushi but instead of the sweet eel sauce it was made with balsamic vinegar which is uh, um, from Modena so it was an Italian version of that Japanese uh, plate alright last one Yeah, my guilty pleasure is obviously food wise and to make it harder you can't say Lebanese food uh, I my guilty pleasure is probably uh, like a, a a greasy burger like I would always go to a to a burger like uh, and I, it doesn't need to be a fancy burger i don't like fast food burgers either but like um there's a number of restaurants in in the us that make amazing burgers like uh, proof in miami or Ocheval in chicago so nothing beats like a well done uh burger oh yeah i i agree with that so i got one last one last question before i let you go so we, we talked a little bit about, you know, the, the, the social responsibility that's coming with, with chefs, restaurants, and brands promoting, you know, health-conscious foods and, and, and being more conscious about where the food's coming from. So what do you think is the main thing, if they're not doing it already, they have to do to, to really, you know, feel good about the work they're doing and, and responsibly be this, this pillar in society? Yeah, I think um, everything will, like, as time passes... Uh, being local, uh, it becomes more relevant because um, there are some people who say that, for example, like eating or uh, producing uh, meat is, is bad or chicken or that we should substitute um, like seafood with uh, uh, fake seafood that comes from algae. But when we look at it, like anything we do on a big scale, it will eventually become... Uh, unsustainable uh, so if we let's say we replace meat with uh, uh, plant-based meat when we think we need to feed 7 billion people around the world it will become unsustainable by nature so the more we focus on what's around us uh, locally in terms of uh, what's seasonal um, and what's uh, like proper for many place the more sustainable we will be. And it doesn't matter if it's meat, if it's chicken, if it's vegetable, or if it's grains, but the, the more local we eat, I think it's going to be better and more sustainable. I mean, we cannot do uh, plant-based uh, burgers for 7 billion people and, and hope to be sustainable either. Right, right. It's got, there's got to be a balance. Absolutely. Well, Nidal, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you very much for the opportunity.
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com industries and subscribe to articles, podcasts, and video content for your favorite industries. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Have a good day.